continue now our series uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes that we've entitled The Search for Meaning. Uh, We've spent the last couple of weeks in chapter 7, and we're not quite done there yet. So we are midway through chapter 7. We're going to be reading today uh, from chapter 7, verses 15 through to 29, through to the end of the chapter. Uh, And we're going to read together in just a second. So if you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to open it up uh, and go ahead and find Ecclesiastes chapter 7. If you don't have one, uh, fear not, the words will come up on the screen for you to read along. But I always encourage you to, uh, if you do have a Bible, uh, open it up uh, and read for yourself as we go. Great, so let's read together first up and then we'll pray and then we'll begin to unpack these verses uh, and see what they mean and how they might apply to our lives today. So from 7.15 on we read this. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? And be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this. And from... Uh, Take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Now, if we've just read through that and you're going, what on earth is he going on about? You're probably in good company. Okay, they, they are like... Some of the other verses in Ecclesiastes, slightly peculiar at a first cursory glance. On a first read-through, we can go like, what? What?" (laughs) Um, But we're going to dig in together and and see what they mean and how they speak to us today. So let's pray, uh, and then we'll begin to unpack these verses together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, even when at first we read it and come away scratching our heads slightly, Uh, God, we thank you for your word. We believe that it speaks life to us, that it is a a gift from you to us, that we might understand 
your character, that we might understand and know you more, and that we might also understand how you created and designed us to function and live in this world which you created, Lord, for your glory and for the good of others. So I pray that you would uh, give us ears to hear this afternoon. Would you give us hearts uh, receptive to you? And I just say, Holy Spirit, would you help us to understand and apply your word this afternoon for your glory? Amen. Good. Well, as we begin to dig in, we're going to go through it like we often do. So we'll kind of go just a chunk at a time. And so the first thing that we read today in this section of the book, Solomon opens up with an observation that we can all relate to, I think. So he writes this, doesn't he? He says, in my vain life, I have seen everything. I think probably not all of us could say that. King Solomon was pretty unique. We've talked in past weeks uh, about this historic king who had just like wealth that made the founder of Amazon look like a pauper, who had God-given wisdom that meant people came from other nations, rulers of other nations came to learn from him uh, and to to glean from his wisdom. Um, This guy, like everything that the world has to offer, everything that we think would be a good thing, Solomon had seen it all, he'd done it all, he'd got it all, he'd been there and got the T-shirt. And so he he, he says, I've seen everything, and, and he really had... But then he says one particular thing that he'd observed. And something I think we can all relate to. He says this, There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, or or a good man who who perishes uh, in doing good. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Who hasn't seen that? We've all seen people who we look at and we think they are good people. Like, why are they suffering? Why, like, why are they in poverty? Why is this happening to them? And then we see other people who we think are bad people and we think, like, they seem to have it made. Like, they live a long life, they've got riches and loads of people around themselves. Like, what's the deal? See, we've all seen it, and we instinctively want to push against it, don't we? Or maybe it's just me. Like, when I see that, that, that irritates me. Does it irritate you? Like, so you can, you can say yes behind your mask, or you can nod, or yeah. It's irritating, isn't it? And that's because we think that the good should be rewarded for the good they do with good things, don't we? We do. I do. I tend to think that, and that the bad should be punished. When something good happens to someone who we think is good, our natural response is to say things like, it couldn't have happened to a nicer person. Like, I'm just, they really deserve that. I'm so glad. Don't we? And when bad things happen to people who we think are bad, we say things like, he had that coming, didn't he? Yeah, he had that coming. Yeah? Yeah? They really deserve that. <laughs> we want swift justice for people. And actually, you know, we think that good deserves to be rewarded and bad deserves to be punished. And we like to think that we're the ones who should define what those things are too. And this is where Solomon's going to begin to open up. See, people 
love philosophies and religions and worldviews and belief systems that reinforce this view. It's why, I don't know if any of you have heard of the law of attraction. You've probably heard of it, maybe not under that title, but you would have heard people talk about it. And it's so popular because we all instinctively want it to be how the world works. And, and the law of attraction says if you, if you think good things, then good things will happen to you. If you do good things, you'll get good things back. If you put good vibes out there, then good will be given to you. But there's a problem with it, isn't there? It doesn't work like that. Like Solomon observed it and we've all observed it. It just doesn't work like that. Like if some people would talk about it as karma and you think, well, you know, if karma is really the thing, like it, it isn't working, it's, it's broken because bad people are having success and enjoying the good things and, and good people are suffering. So what's going on? It can be incredibly frustrating when we experience and observe it. So how do we respond? How should we respond to it? Well, Solomon gives us now two very common responses. And I think you'll probably be able to identify with these two. First up, he says this. He says, be not overly righteous and do not make yourselves too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Now, some of you are probably thinking, like, at last, something I can do. Like often when you preach, it sounds like, I can't do that. But today, be not overly righteous. Don't make yourself too wise. Do you know what? I think I can do that. Like, I mean, be good, but not too good. I'm all right with that. Like, you know, be a good Christian, but not too good a Christian. You know, like mostly keep the law, but breaking the speed limit doesn't really count, does it? Be not overly righteous. <laughs> See, the challenge is, unfortunately for us, however much we might hear that and think that sounds quite appealing, that's not actually what King Solomon was writing about or what he meant when he penned those words. Actually, the key to understanding it is in the second half of the sentence, the, the do not make yourself too wise. In the original uh, language, the thrust of that sentence and the structure of it uh, and the type of verbs used, it carries the weight of saying, in your own eyes or in your own assessment, don't be too wise or don't think too much of your own wisdom or your own righteousness. In other words, what he's saying is, don't be self-righteous. Don't look at yourself and think, I am good. I'm the good one. When I read, there's good people and bad things happen to them and bad people and good things seem to happen to them. Well, I am righteous. And so good things should happen to me and it's very frustrating that they don't. Solomon is warning against self-righteousness. Well, what does it mean to be self-righteousness? Well, in, in a nutshell, it means thinking you're better than other people or, or thinking you're better than you probably are. Uh, and the way it generally works is that self-righteousness grows in us when we view the things we don't do as 
the wrong things. When we view things that we don't do as bad things, but the things we do do, they're okay, they're good things. So you look at others, I just, just suspend your disbelief for a moment, because all of you do this. I know that you don't think you do, okay? But that might be because you're sometimes prone to self-righteousness, okay? So you're all prone to it. Don't pretend you're not. It's what happens when you look at others and you say things like this. You know, I might not be perfect, but I wouldn't do that. Huh? Like, I, I might not be completely perfect, but, well... And that's just too far, isn't it? That's, that's, I mean, they've gone over the line there. Huh? We make ourselves the judge of right and wrong. We're right and they're wrong. We do this at a big picture level of societies. Yeah? So we t- historically, cultures look at other cultures and they go, we're right and they're wrong. And so we should get them to adopt our rightness and get rid of their wrongness. That's tragic and horrid but we do it and we do it at an individual level too we draw a line around all the stuff that we don't do and everyone that crosses that line is bad and because we've carefully placed that line just the other side of the things that we do do then we're good you've Notice that? Yeah, when you are the one who determines what's good and what's bad, what's righteous and unrighteous, I don't know if you've observed the fact that actually what you are inclined to do is that you draw a line that you're the right side of. Because nobody likes feeling like they're the wrong side of that line. And the problem is, is when we approach life with this self-righteous attitude... Then we look at the observation that Solomon starts with and we believe that we're the good ones who deserve the good things and that we deserve to avoid any suffering or hardship or things that we don't like. We take on this attitude, if we ever think of God, of, like, doesn't God know how good I am? Like, doesn't he know I should be being rewarded by him? for what a good person I am. And Solomon just wants to say, don't do that. (laughs) It's foolishness. It's a really, really bad idea. Doing that will lead to your destruction. See, we find in the Bible that God sets the standard of righteousness, not us. He defines it. We don't get to. And it's foolishness of us to believe otherwise so don't be self-righteous don't believe that you're the good one (laughs) and everyone else is the bad well how about another approach Solomon doesn't stop there he keeps going he's like look well we we tried that one that one's not so good Uh, like Solomon's writing out of his experience he probably went down that line and went "Uh uh-uh that's not getting me very far okay let's try something else he says this now in verse 17 he says be not overly wicked Neither be a fool, why should you die before your time? So we go, okay, well, not self-righteous, you know, not thinking I'm perfect and everyone else isn't. Uh, So, well, how about just a bit bad? 
like not too bad, but just a bit bad. Like, uh, so I'm going to step away from self-righteousness and go, uh, you know, I'm not all good. And he says, be not overly wicked. And we can read that and go, oh, okay, so just like not too bad. I just get to be a bit bad, yeah? Like, it's okay to recognize I'm not good, but, you know, so my pet sins, like the things that, I mean, they don't really hurt anyone else. Like, they're just, like, they're just little things. Like, just like little white lies, or, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, just sort of, you know, it's only the, it, I think the speed limit's more a suggestion than, than, a, than a legal limit, probably. Um, <laughs> and we start to approach things in this way. And again, guys, I, I'm sorry to break it to you. That's not actually what Solomon's saying. See, actually, uh, <laughs> the, the thrust of what he's saying here is don't give way to evil. Don't give way to sinfulness. Don't actively pursue it. It's like, look, you're not as good as you think you are and you are going to mess up. But just throwing your hands in the air and going, well, I might as well do all the bad I can then if it feels good because I'm not righteous anyway is a bad idea. He says, actively pursuing a life of greed and deception and lust or just living for your own fulfillment and self-pleasure is a whole other level of stupid. That's my modern paraphrase of what Solomon's saying here. But you know, it's sadly where loads of us end up. Through denial or through frustration of seeing good people suffer, then we dive headlong into thinking, well, if I can't be righteous, and if it won't get me anything even if I am, then what's the point of even trying? So I might as well just do whatever I want, right? I might as well just live for the moment. It's hedonism. It's the way so many of us live. Like, I might as well just get all the pleasure and all the enjoyment I can out of this moment because what's the point anyway, regardless of the impact on others? And actually, hey, it happens, right? Maybe I could just be one of those bad people who succeeds. Solomon says, it's not the answer. It's foolishness. It's going to lead to your destruction. So Solomon says, well, responding in self-righteousness is a bad idea and, and just giving way to sin because why bother is also a really bad idea. Well, and he just underlines that for us here in verse 18. He says, it's good that you should take hold of this and from that withhold not your hand. He's like saying the same thing two ways. He's basically like, Understand the first one, don't be self-righteous. Also, grasp hold of the second one. Don't give way to wickedness and sinfulness. For the one who fears God shall come out from both. And he says the antidote to these two wrong responses to our observation that things are not how we feel like they should be in the world, the antidote to those two wrong responses is to fear God. Hmm. To, to live a life in reverence of God. To recognize that he alone sets the bar of righteousness. 
and to recognize that actually his law is for our good and for our flourishing. When we understand that, we don't get self-righteous because we recognize compared with God's standard, we fall short. And we also don't just give ourselves to sin because we recognize that God's law is for our good and for our flourishing. And so we try to live in obedience. But there's still a problem. There's still a problem. And Solomon carries on because he knew there was a problem too. He says this, Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. It's like wisdom is a good thing. Okay? It's helpful. And then he carries on and says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. It's like however much you try to keep God's law, you shun self-righteousness, you recognize that, that you've fallen short, you don't go down the avenue of just doing whatever you please because it feels good. You recognize that God's law is good and you try and live in line with it and Solomon goes, <laughs> you're not going to do it. There is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So just in case you may still have been holding on to the illusion that you are a good person, that you're one of the good people who deserves the good things, just in case you are still holding on to that, Solomon wants to be really clear. No one. Not a righteous man. Not in all the earth. And that rules out, well, you and me. All of us, yeah? No one is. And to further emphasize his point, Solomon then gives us an illustration that again, like his observation at the start, I think we can probably all relate to when he says this. He says, Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. What he's saying is, it's like, don't get too easily outraged when you hear someone else bad-mouthing you or gossiping about you or speaking ill of you. Because if you're honest with yourself, you said things you shouldn't about others, right? I would hazard a guess that there's not a person in this room If you're honest with yourself, he says, you yourself, your heart knows it, that many times you yourself have cursed others. What does your heart know? I would, I would wager that your heart knows that you've spoken ill of others, that you've gossiped or slandered or spoken behind others' backs, yeah? And yet when someone does it about you, you get riled up, don't you? How dare they say that about me? That's outrageous. And Solomon just uses this little illustration of something we've all experienced to say you're so quick to get angry and self-righteous about other people's sin. And you know what? You're no better. What he wants us to see. In your self-righteousness, someone else's sin always seems worse than yours. 
we are naturally very gracious towards ourselves. On the whole, we're quick to make excuses for ourselves. So when you do something you know you shouldn't, you can very quickly jump to your own defense, can't you? Well, I, it was, I was tired. Or, like, if you knew the, the morning I'd had. Or just... It's amazing how quick we are to do that for ourselves. But how quick we are to assume the worst of others. They don't get any of those excuses we give ourselves. They're just out of line. Like, they, they shouldn't do that. They shouldn't speak like that or say that. That's wrong. Hmm. Solomon wants us to understand that when he says there is not a righteous person who does good and never sins, we're included. And this gives us a real problem, right? I don't know about you, but like that causes me an issue. Because then I'm like, well, what do I do about that? What do we do about it? I mean, surely there must be a solution. Like there must be a way in which we could be righteous, so that we could be made right with God, that we could live in a way that is truly good. Well, Solomon was determined to find out, and so he carries on. He says, all this I've tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? Now remember, Solomon was the wisest man ever. When he became king in Israel, God said, Solomon, I'll give you whatever you ask of me. And Solomon said, God, give me wisdom. And so God did give him phenomenal wisdom. And he also gave him a whole lot of other things too. Solomon was famous for it. And he applied his wisdom to trying to understand this problem. To trying to go like, what well, what do we do about it? Like, I've observed this problem, but what are we going to do about it? And what did he conclude? I can't fix it. It was far off from me. It was, it was deep. Like, who can work it out? Solomon could not find the answer. He carries on. I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things. Just try to understand what the answer is and how this works and why things are the way they are. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Now we've not got time to get into this chunk Today, I mean, this could easily be a whole sermon on its own, but just to say in passing, Solomon here singles out an area that he knew he had no room for self righteousness in. He singles out sexual sin in this moment, and he observes that the one who pleases God escapes it, but the, that the one who is righteous would not succumb to it 
but you're in trouble if you do, and Solomon should know, right? This guy took for himself 700 wives and 300 other women who lived in the palace at his beck and call for his pleasure. Solomon really should know. It wasn't wise of him to do that. Actually, as we learn more of his story, if you read more of his story in the Bible, you see just how foolish it was of him to do that. Many of his wives were from other nations, not the nation of Israel. And they worshipped other gods. And over time, they turned his heart to worship false gods too. See, Solomon thought that these women would fulfill him. He thought that they would bring him pleasure. And actually, instead, they ruined him. Like I say, we've not got time to get into it today, but Solomon here just, he singles out this issue because it's a big one for guys, but also because it was an area for him where he knew, he knew that he'd forsaken what God had got for him and what God had called him to. And it had got him in all kinds of bother. Let's read on. He says, Behold, this is what I've found, says the preacher. While adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, he's like, I, I tried this and then I added that and then I tried the next, which my soul has sought repeatedly, I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all of these I have not found. See this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. It's like after... After searching it all, after trying it all out, he concludes, you know, at the beginning, God made men good. <laughs> he did. And he made us good and for relationship with him. But he says, do you know what? Men have sought out many schemes Every last one of us is corrupted by sin. This, this final statement just, it's basically a way of him going, there's no point arguing about like who's better than who. Are you like a bit better than that person? Or like are they, is their sin worse than your sin? Or are they less righteous than you or more righteous than you? There's just no point because any self-righteous attempts to compare more favorably than others or to justify ourselves fall apart when we understand that each one of us, compared to God's perfect, holy standard, has fallen short. Each one of us are sinners. There's no one righteous, not one. And our lack of righteousness actually leads us to condemnation. The Bible is 
clear, actually, when we read it. It says the, the wages of sin, the wages of rebellion against God, the wages of a, a lack of obedience to his way and to his word, to his laws, is death. Separation from him forever. And guys, Solomon doesn't actually have the answer here. It's like I searched it all out and I just found we're all short. Like none of us get close. And we find this at times in the Old Testament. And that's because it was always pointing forward to something else or more precisely to someone else who was yet to come. See, it sets up this tension, leaves us thinking like, man, what a state. (laughs) Like... What do we do? This passage observes our fallen state and leaves us asking the question, well, what can, be, can anything be done about it? Or are we just all condemned in our sin? And as this passage leaves us asking that question, we find in the New Testament a resounding answer. And it's good news. It's very good news. See, Romans chapter 3, verse 10 picks up exactly where Solomon leaves off here. It says this, none is righteous. No, not one. You go, oh, (laughs) yeah, I got that now. Like, but what what are we going to do about it? Paul carries on a few verses later from verse 19. It says, now we know whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. What does that mean? He's just saying the law of God that we find in the scripture condemns us all because we don't live up to it. We come to the same conclusion when we read it. We go, well, I haven't done that. I can't do that. I'm not capable of doing that. No one is righteous, me included. And so it stops every mouth. Every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. It's like you can't talk your way out of this. You, you compare yourself to God's perfect standard and you go, yeah, I'm not there. It carries on from verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. What are these verses saying? They're saying we've all fallen short, but God has made a way for us to be made righteous, for us to be counted as righteous, for us to be considered truly good. And what is that way? He says, through faith in Jesus Christ. This is awesome. Paul, writing to the Roman church in the first century, like picked up on that theme that Solomon brought and that we read in the Old Testament. He says, no one is righteous, but <laughs> through faith in Jesus, you 
can be made righteous. We read else, the book of Romans is brilliant for this. If you've never read it, I'd encourage you to read it. But we're just going to track a few more verses through the book of Romans as, as it builds on this same theme. So we're going to jump on now from chapter 3 to chapter 6, verse 23. Paul like underlines this again. He says, the wages of sin is death. It's like what you've earned for yourself in your unrighteousness is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That sounds good to me. Yeah? This is awesome. And then we read on in Romans chapter 8 from verses right at the beginning, verse 1 to 3. And this is where we're going to conclude today. He says this, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, we are each one of us on our own merit and our fallenness deserving of condemnation. But what does Paul say here? He says there is no condemnation It's not self-righteousness. It's not yours. It comes from God. It's a free gift through Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done, it's important, he did it, not us. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Guys, this is truly, truly good news. You see, Christ came. God came in human form and he lived in perfect righteousness. See, when Solomon points out, like, in the whole world, there's no one who's lived perfectly Jesus came and he did just that. Perfect. He upheld the law of God faultlessly. Every command God made about how mankind should live, Jesus fulfilled it perfectly. Not like not once did he break it. Like you know what that law is? Like actually Jesus reinforced it and tried to help us understand some more. So it says says in the law, don't cover your neighbor's stuff. You think, have you ever been jealous of anyone's stuff? Anyone? Yeah? So the law says guilty. It says, like, don't lust. Don't have an extramarital relationship. And then Jesus said, Hey, do you know, like, I'm not even talking about sleeping with someone. If you look at someone lustfully, like you've done it in your heart, you've broken the law. Like, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but like, if I was, I could guess the percentage of the room, 100, um, who might respond, 
if they were honest in the positive of who may have broken the law on that account, Jesus came and he did not break the law at all in the slightest. He upheld it perfectly. He did what you and I were unable to do. And at the cross, he offered us an exchange. He took upon himself your sin and the penalty for your sin, your unrighteousness, and he owned it as though it were his. And where the Bible says the wages of sin is death, Jesus took that for you. And in exchange, he said that his righteousness, his perfect record, his perfect law-keeping, his sinless, spotless righteousness could be given to you as a gift in exchange. He said, I'll take your mess and I'll give you my faultless righteousness. You think, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> this is good news. And now we read that those who hope in Christ, those who accept the offer of exchange from Christ's life for their life, Christ's perfection for their guilt and shame, are now made righteous. Not a self-righteousness, not a righteousness of their own, but a righteousness that comes from God as a gift through faith in Jesus. That is awesome, right? That's good news. <laughs> it's good news. It is. I, some of you aren't convinced, but it honestly is. <laughs> I think it's good news anyway, and I think there are lots of people throughout history who have found new life and hope in Jesus, who have known what it is to have their sin and their unrighteousness washed away, wiped away, not counted against them any longer, but instead receive the righteousness of Christ as though it were their own, that now when God looks on you, he no longer sees your sin, he no longer sees your failures, he no longer sees your law-breaking Rebellion, instead, he sees the spotless perfection of Christ Jesus. And he says, I love you. <laughs> this is good news. And so as we come to respond today, we're going to take communion in just a moment. I want to encourage you, lay aside your self-righteousness today. Stop trying to justify yourself and come to him. Yeah, confess your sins. We, we do need to do that. We confess our sins, but as we do, we know that he is faithful and just to forgive. The Bible tells us that. We need to acknowledge and embrace our need for forgiveness. I want to encourage you to do that today as we come to take communion. If there are things you know that you're aware of in your life, Maybe today even, or this week. Confess them and ask forgiveness in confidence that he will forgive. And others of you, just as we take communion, I, I felt like this was important today. Some of you need to hear 
and be reminded of the fact that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I think some of you are walking around like carrying past sins with you and you just like can't let go of this feeling of guilt for what you've done. Like you put your trust in Jesus, say you're a Christian, but you just walk around with this burden and right now even you're like, man, but like if you just knew about that, you wouldn't be saying what you're saying. Like if you only knew what I'd done. If you knew. And like on one level you're right, yeah? Solomon was really clear with us about that. You don't have any righteousness of your own. You've not earned and you can't earn God's favor, but I don't need to know. It might help for some of you to share with someone, but I don't need to know. God already knows. He sees and he knows and he says it's covered. It's dealt with. It's finished. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is forgiveness and there is grace. So come and find your rest in him. I'm going to hand over to Dave and we're going to share communion together as we conclude our time together today.